0: I said, "Your cousin Jed, sitting on the porch."
1: Song for
0: freedom. Sing a song for love. Sing a song for
1: angels
2: from Hello and welcome to episode 819 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast for Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of 538 sam miller my usual co-host was just called away on an emergency mlb network appearance so you can see him and his beard presumably on tv sometime soon so filling in for sam is the very able replacement from baseball perspective, craig goldstein hello craig
0: Hi. Hey, how's it going
2: all right today we are doing the orioles preview podcast so later in this show George Bissell will talk to Rock Kubatko of Masson Sports. But in this first segment, as always, we are talking to the author of the BP annual essay. In that case, that is John Bernhardt, who is a freelance baseball writer who writes for The Guardian and Vice Sports, and you've probably seen him at several other sites over the
3: years. (laughs) Including Baseball Prospectus. Hey, guys.
2: Yes. uh, So, a little inside baseball no one cares about. We were originally planning to record this podcast last week, and then all of a sudden, the Orioles were rumored to be signing every remaining free agent. And this actually sort of jibes with your essay, which deals with Dan Duquette's tendency to wait and wait and wait. And we are still waiting for the news that we thought might be imminent imminent, uh, last week. And so the Orioles are supposedly close to a deal with Giovanni Gallardo, and then they're in on every remaining hitter. And so this seems to fit the pattern, the way that Duquette has operated for his time in Baltimore. And, you were, I guess I would say somewhat critical of that sort of wait and look for the deal type tendency that he has shown. So can you kind of go into uh, how you think that has served the Orioles well and and maybe also how it's held them back?
3: Sure. I don't think it's it's a bad thing in and of itself. Uh, if you're going to try to go for a free agent, you want to get a good deal. And the Orioles have over the past couple of years, especially, uh, Two years ago when they signed Nelson Cruz and Yobaldo Jimenez, uh, late in free agency, they've chased the guys who have had their uh, value depreciated by the qualifying offer tag. And and that's fine. That's great. Every team should have uh, you know a niche they go for like that. The problem with the Orioles comes when that's the only thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. The issue with Baltimore going into this offseason is that Uh, they didn't have the worst farm system in the league. The Angels had the worst farm system, but they were pretty close down there. And you can't do much with a farm system that isn't bringing in talent and that isn't uh, creating players, because not only are those guys not coming to your major league team, but you can't use them to trade for guys. So if you're a team like Baltimore, who is in the middle of a contention window and has guys like Manny Machado and Matt Wieters and Good young guys that they, well, Weeders has had some issues the past couple of years, but, you know, Machado, Jonathan Scope had a good year last year. You've got a, a team that is in its contention window, but you can't supplement it with anything but free agents. You run into a problem when your free agent model is chasing a deal at the end of free agency
2: yeah and the free agencies of Chris Davis and and Matt Weiders have kind of been hanging over the team for a few years now and there was mm-hmm. always speculation about whether there would be an extension or whether they would stay in Baltimore are you surprised that they were able and willing to keep those guys and also Darren O'Day this winter
3: I'm a bit surprised that they offered Matt Weiders a qualifying offer uh-huh. Um, I did. I think that they made that offer, thinking that probably he would not take it, um, because this was the first off season that we actually had free agents accept the qualifying offer. Right. Uh, Weeters, Colby Rasmus, and um, Brett Anderson, I believe, were the three guys who actually accepted that from their teams. And frankly, it was kind of a no brainer for Weeders to take the qualifying offer. He lost most of last season to injury. He should be trying to build up his value for a free agent push in the next offseason. And, you know, one year, fifteen million dollars for a solid defensive catcher who who's bad is a question mark right now. That's a pretty good paycheck. So I, I am kind of surprised that they offered it to him, only in that I don't think they actually thought he was gonna accept it. I think that no one expected them to bring back both Davis and O'Day. And I think that the fact that they brought them back is a powerful statement for reasons slightly unattached to how the team performs on the field. There's been that uh, feeling that Baltimore isn't willing to spend the money it takes to keep the players that you know they built and that they love and uh, and, and Davis's deal proved that at least Angelus is still involved enough to actually. Uh, make those deals and keep those players whether or not that turns out to be a good idea has to do with whether or not you believe in chris davis and chris davis is a remarkably concerning case over the past couple years he looks like an mvp sometimes he looks like the guy he looked like in texas before he got traded to baltimore some other times
0: when the orioles decide to stretch their budget because i i think that it's clear that there's been some criticism on their willingness to spend. But oh yeah,
3: and I think they're stretching their budget right now.
0: Yeah, and so when they do, are are you at all confident in the guys that they're doing it for? You mentioned in the in the essay, obviously, Ubaldo Jimenez. Now they've gone for Chris Davis. It it seems that to at least to me, when they are stretching themselves, they're kind of doing it for not necessarily the level of player you might want them to, given the rest of the team.
3: Right. I think Jimenez is the big target for that criticism. I think it's unfair to hit uh, Chris Davis with precisely the same brush as Ubaldo Jimenez. Chris Davis has had two really good years, uh, two of the past three years. Jimenez was a case of trying to buy league average pitching slightly below market rate, and not getting league average pitching because the guy that they bought is a notoriously inconsistent guy with mechanics problems. And frankly, Baltimore struggled to develop starting pitching, to maintain the quality of the starting pitching they bring in, to do almost everything related to the act of pitching a baseball um they got Zach Britton who transferred uh, from a starting pitcher to a, a lights out reliever. They have Brian Mattis who has, you know, managed to stick in the major leagues as a as a left-handed relief option. But they trade guys like you know, they they trade when you trade Jake Arrieta to the Chicago Cubs and he goes back to doing his mechanics the way he wants to do his mechanics and throwing the cutter the, the way he wants to throw the cutter, and suddenly he turns into the best pitcher in the National League, uh, there's going to be questions about your workflow and about the way that you're developing your guys and the way you're coaching your guys. So I think Ubaldo Jimenez was always going to have some issues in Baltimore. And I think that as they stretch their budget, I was going to say they need to be aware of their limitations, but honestly, they should. They, the Baltimore Orioles need to figure out how to develop a starting pitcher? There, there's no band aid that they can really stick on that wound anymore. There's no way that you can move around that in the market. The last pitcher that that organization developed from draft to major leagues that was an impact player was Eric Bedard. <laughs> That's a while ago, 2004. <laughs> <laughs> so, how
2: much blame? do you assign in various cases for that? It's always hard from the outside to know exactly what goes on. You know, in in Kevin Gossman's case, we sort of Mm -hmm. sort of see what has happened with the change in his role and the change in his level. And it's been somewhat mystifying in other cases, you know, Dylan Bundy or Hunter Harvey. It's, it's similarly frustrating, but maybe harder to fault the team in case of injury. I, so yeah. uh, to what extent do you say small sample and drafting and developing is really hard and to what extent do you think there's a pattern in how these pitchers are handled?
3: I mean, it's very difficult to zero in and criticize any specific move from an outside perspective. It's tough to ding the Orioles too much for bringing Dylan Bundy up in 2012 and starting his major league clock because how could they know that he was going to lose, you know, most of the next three seasons now to injury or at least two of those seasons to injury. And now they're in a position where he either has to stick on the DL, stick on the major league roster or go through waivers because he's, he's out of options. And, you know, zeroing in on that circumstance, you can't really fairly criticize the Orioles for not being able to see the future there. But when no one is getting developed, when Eduardo Rodriguez gets traded to the Red Sox and immediately, you know, changes how he holds his change up and feels so much better in their system, you know, there's, it's the totality of things. And it's not a problem that can be fixed overnight. It's not a problem that um, honestly can probably be fixed without people, you know, moving on from the organization. But it's a problem that needs to be addressed. And so far, the Orioles haven't really shown any signs that they're addressing it.
0: Yeah, it seems to me that their constant plan to to kind of be on the fringe. Mm -hmm. I I, I mean, I as someone who lives in Maryland, I know it was a big deal to be for them to be in the playoffs and get back to the playoffs against the Yankees. I went to that first game, and it was we're
3: talking about two thousand twelve, right?
0: Twelve, yes. I'm sorry, and and it was an electric atmosphere. It really was. It was. Um, It was amazing, and. I think that their plan to, to kind of remain on that fringe has kind of added to what you're, you're talking about in terms of their moves of sacrificing their farm system in, in reasonable moves, I, I would add. You know, they traded Stephen Tarpley to try and get uh, to, to get Travis Snyder, um, mm-hmm. which I think was not an unacceptable move at the time. It didn't work out very well, but you see them constantly making these deals for fringe players or guys that they might get a little more out of than the market is anticipating. And it plays into kind of their free agent plan as well that you go back to with Ubaldo Menez. I think Giovanni Gallardo would be a very similar circumstance as Ubaldo where they're sacrificing either farm players or draft picks and draft picks are something they've been happy to sacrifice because they don't want to pay those guys, they've done it with international free agent slots as well. And they're constantly just selling the future for now. And now isn't that good.
3: Yeah, that's pretty much correct. I mean, I think 2012 did appreciable, I don't want to say damage, but it did change the way that a lot of people saw that team. The 2012 Baltimore Orioles were a historically bizarre team. They won an insane percentage of their extra inning games. They won an insane percentage of their one-run games. They were, they were a statistic abnormality in almost every sense of the word, especially with everything the bullpen touched. So I think that taking that team and viewing that team as a solid playoff contender moving forward that just needed to be minorly tweaked with fourth outfielders and you know fifth starters and new utility guys every season, you know, with your Delman Youngs and your Lou Fords. I think that was a mistake. I think that team was, you know, never as good as it played out on there. And I think that a lot of the stasis that the Orioles major league roster has been in over the past couple off seasons has been because of that massive success that they hit on as soon as the new front office came in. And You know they they went back to they went to the ALCS in uh, in 2014. So it's not like they that team can't succeed. It's not like they haven't made moves that can you know engender success. But they're still. Where are we putting their rotation right now? We putting their rotation 25th, 28th, 30th. It's not a good rotation. It's headlined by a guy who has. Who, who, whose features might be in relief? Kevin Gaussman's future might be in relief. And Kevin Gaussman is the headliner at this point. Chris Tillman had a horrible year, last, well, had a bad year last year. And you can't really rely on Jimenez. You know, you don't know what version of him's going to show up. Chen's in, in Miami now. Uh, now, Wei Yin Chen was probably the best signing that this front office has made. And it's a signing that I'm not sure they'll ever repeat getting a you know a league average pitcher out of Taiwan for, I want to say it was three years, $12 million. So they, they hit on a lot of great deals and, and opportunities and, and a lot of things came together that first season in Baltimore. And I think that moving on from that has been tough, but I think moving on from that needs to be done and changes need to be made to the system. And how the organization runs, they, there needs to be talent in the minors, and there's just not right now. I mean, there's there's guys, there's good guys. They're not. I don't want to take anything away from the guys that are actually in Baltimore system, but you know, there was no one on the top 100 for uh, for BP, was there? They've got no one up there, and the Detroit Tigers could get away with this because Dave Dombrowski is a Hall of Fame executive, and he can he makes the trades that you know keep. The Detroit Tigers kept the Detroit Tigers in that window, and they were spending like twice as much money as the Baltimore Orioles were. But you can't have this this strategy where you wait to the last minute to get the guys who are on clearance in February as your only method of team building. There has to be something else there. And the Orioles haven't added that that extra talent.
0: Uh, Just a quick correction. Actually, uh, Harvey and Bundy were both on our list. Really? Yes. Where were they? Uh, Bundy was a very nice sixty nine,
3: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> and Harvey was uh, actually up to fifty eight.
3: Was it the BA list that no Orioles made? It might have been the BA list.
0: Yeah, I think that's correct. I've I've read a lot of lists recently.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after uh, Harvey and Bundy, they've got a lot of talent. Injuries have taken a lot of time that they should have had to develop away from them. And I, and as I said in the essay. The Orioles will only be as good as the amount of money they spend right now. But spending money, and I'm one of the most pro labor guys in, you know, baseball writing that I know of, but spending money is not an efficient way of building a team right now in Major League Baseball. You know, buying free agents is not an efficient way of doing that. If you're not uh, getting great international free agents, if you're if you're not drafting well, if you're not if all you've got is free agency, The strategy that the Orioles are pursuing in free agency is nice. It can lead to Nelson Cruz stories where you're paying one year, eight million for a guy who was an MVP case, but it's not getting you over the hump. And I I want to say USA Today predicted the Orioles to finish fifth in the division. I'm not sure fifth is where I'd put them, but that's, you know, towards the bottom of the division sounds about right.
2: Yeah. We'll ask you before you, before we let you go, how many wins you envision the, the Orioles ending up with. Obviously, based on where we are doing this interview in our series, Pakoda is extremely pessimistic. Of course, Pakoda has been pessimistic about good Orioles teams before, as I'm sure many Orioles fans remember. But is there anyone that's still out there, anyone that the team has been connected to in the last week or so, that you think would make a material difference? Or at this point, are we talking about degrees of out of contention?
3: Well, the thing about speculating about the outfielders that Orioles have been connected to is that you're bringing with it Giovanni Gallardo signing for three years, $45 million. The two players that we've heard most linked to Baltimore uh, are Jay Bruce of the Reds in a trade and uh, Dexter Fowler, who's a free agent, as a signing. Fowler fits the lineup really well. He'd be a good... He's a switch hitter, he'd be good at the as, as a leadoff batter. But he uh, signing Fowler leaves them with an outfield that outfield that's um Hyun soo Kim, the uh Korean left fielder who came over from the Korean uh, baseball organization in left. Adam Jones in the center, and Fowler in right. Fowler's Fowler's played one inning of professional right field, I believe. And he his arm, you know, it, it's I don't think it's it's you know it's not Johnny Damon's arm but it's not a, a right field arm he can yeah is the range for the position i mean let's be fair he's probably better than Mark Trumbo who is the current guy that the Orioles have penciled in for right field but Dexter Fowler Adam Jones and Hyunsoo Kim you know is is a is an outfield without any right fielders in it now if you trade for Jay Bruce that he's got a Bruce has a lot of of time logged in right field but he's he's not as good on the routes. He's not as fast as Fowler, and his bat's been below league average for two years. The Reds have indicated that they believe the Orioles have the trade chips to get Bruce. To which everyone else says, like, you know, well, no duh. Bruce is a guy that the Reds should be dumping um, for for salary concerns. And I'm sure that the the Orioles have a have a you know a mid level prospect or two that would satisfy that if they ate the salary. And I think either of those guys would be fine. I think in a vacuum, I prefer Fowler. But if the Orioles are going to be serious about rebuilding this team, the real thing to do here is not to sign Gallardo, not to sign Fowler. Use those two picks to get talent and bring people into the organization that can develop that talent. Because you can't, burn picks the way the Orioles are burning picks if you're not getting good value in the late rounds and the Orioles aren't getting good value in the late rounds. So I think that this whole this specific instance of February activity on the part of the Orioles is a bit misguided. If they're going to do it anyway, I'd prefer them signing Gallardo and Fowler.
2: I don't know how we've gotten this far into an Orioles preview podcast without talking about Manny Machado or Adam <laughs> Jones for that matter. I guess because we focused on the question marks and those guys are the certainties. Um, they are.
3: As long as Manny Machado's knees stay <laughs> fine, Manny Machado is going to be a dude.
2: Yeah. Would you like a minute, to, just a, a Manny Machado minute to just talk about the joy of, of watching He Manny is. Machado? He
3: is really fun to watch. He is... You know, we're at the point in J.J. Hardy's career where we might see Machado moving over to shortstop a little bit, mainly because uh, Hardy couldn't stay healthy last year. And there's been talk about moving Machado back to shortstop, which is where he started his minor league career. That guy is a lot of fun to watch on both sides of the ball. He's going to be probably the best thing to watch about this Orioles team this year, unless Chris Davis has another crush Davis season. Uh, and I got—I have no bad things at all to say about Manny Machado. That guy's a, a a pleasure to watch play baseball. Adam Jones, we'll see. I mean, he he hits a lot of—he hits a lot for power. He's he's he still has that the strikeout tendency problems, but he's he's been consistent and steady over the past couple seasons. So I mean, I mean, there are guys to like about the Orioles. I, I've been relentlessly negative this entire <laughs> session because that's kind of just who I am, and frankly. You know, that's kind of where this team is right now. But a lot of the guys in the majors right now for them, Machado, Scope, who had a great year, a short year last year, but a good year. And if he he can build on that, he can become, you know, one of the better second basemen in the league. Machado, Scope, Jones, all fun to watch.
2: So last year at this time, I I think people were somewhat pessimistic about the Orioles Mm -hmm. and a lot of the criticism centered on the rotation, which turned out to be pretty lousy. And there was a case to be made that the rotation was actually better than its peripherals or better than the projections said it would be based on the fact that they really outperformed their peripherals in Mm -hmm. 2014. And they didn't really at all. None of that ability seemed to carry over into last season and Mm -hmm. none of the the previous ability to win one run games or far surpass their Pythagorean record or any of that sort of Orioles magic carried over into 2015. Is there any continued case to be made for some sort of projection breaking Orioles formula at this point?
3: It depends on the defense. One of the reasons that the Orioles rotation last year, was nowhere near what it was in 2014 when they went to the ALCSs because they missed J.J. Hardy and Jonathan Scope for good chunks of the season, and Hardy, Hardy, you know, was injured a lot of the time, and he was a great defensive shortstop for them in 2014. I think if, if it's a simple question, if the, if the defense up the middle remains healthy for the Orioles, their starting pitchers are going to look better than they are. If those guys get hurt or if J.J. Hardy's at the point of his career where he's lost a step on defense, then they're going to look a lot more like how you'd expect Miguel Gonzalez to look or how you'd expect Chris Tillman to look. I think that to the extent that there's going to be that you can you know pick and choose anything for them to outperform this season, the bullpen still looks really good. Zach Britton looks great as a closer, but... It's a lot, so much of Baltimore's pitching performance depends on the people around those pitchers and not the pitchers necessarily themselves that it's it's hard to say either way how that rotation is going to do.
2: Okay. So we will end as we always do by forcing our guests to predict a win total
3: 81. 81 wins.
2: Okay. Well, so you have them standing perfectly still compared yep. to last season. That is, uh, Certainly a lot better than Pakota foresees. <laughs> so Orioles fans will hope that you are closer to the correct number. All right. So you can read John at The Guardian at Vice Sports. You can find him on Twitter at John Bernhardt. That's John Without an H. Thank you, John.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: And thank you, Craig, for filling in on short notice. Happy to do so. All right. So after the musical break, you will hear George Bissell talking to Rock Botko of Mass Sports.
1: Welcome back to Effective the Wild. I'm George Bissell of Baseball Perspectives. Joining me to preview the 2016 Baltimore Orioles is Rock Kubako. He covers the team for MassinSports.com, where you can read his athlete title blog, School of Rock. You can follow him on Twitter, at MassinRock. Rock, first of all, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're a busy man. You're getting ready to fly down for spring training. It's great to have you on the show.
4: Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks.
1: I want to start off with a a bit of current news here. At the time of recording this, there's no official news on Giovanni Gallardo. So I won't ask you to speculate on moves they haven't made yet. But what does it say about this team that we're in the middle of February and they're still putting together the roster for 2016, it seems like? They're still looking to make moves to impact the upcoming season.
4: Yeah, this is classic Dan Duquette. I mean, this is what he does. Uh, and how he's made his living, certainly, since he uh, was hired by the Orioles. You remember in 2014, he added a, a Baldo Jimenez and Nelson Cruz after we'd already reported to spring training. And then they also brought in Johan Santana on a minor league deal. We had, I think, a four press conferences after we'd already gotten to the Ed Smith Stadium complex. I mean, that's what Dan does. And, you know, he had, and Andy McPhail was very similar in that, letting the market play out, which I know frustrates some fans, but the Orioles operate better when they don't have as many teams competing for a player. And once other teams just start thinning out, and maybe the players lower their demands as they get closer to spring training, that's when he can kind of swoop in. And there have been some other factors, obviously. The qualifying offer has kept guys on the market longer. The Orioles' reluctance to part with their first-round pick, which is the 14th overall. Their reluctance or the refusal to give opt-out clauses and contracts, and a lot of guys are demanding that now. So there are various factors of why it's kind of slower than other teams sometimes to do business. But, you know, we, we figured that there's no way you could project around Christmas or early January what this roster was going to look like. When various outlets were grading their offseason as being a failing grade, it was like, well, you're going to have to wait still because there are other moves that are coming. And certainly that's the case again this, this winter.
1: BP's Pacota projection system forecast the Orioles as the worst team in the American League in 2016. First of all, is that surprising to you? I know you said they're still looking to make some additions here late in the offseason. Uh, but is that surprising at all? And if the Orioles are going to be in playoff contention, what in your estimation are going to be some of the biggest challenges that Dan Duquette and manager Buck Showalter are going to face this season?
4: I mean, it does surprise me. I guess it speaks to uh, how good the league is. I mean, You really can't pick out one team that you think is just going to be historically bad. it just bottom out. Uh, it's like maybe it's more of a reflection on the rest of the league. But at all points of the rotation, that can be the only reason why the Orioles would get any sort of a failing grade because they're going to score plenty of runs, especially after re-signing Chris Davis, obviously. They've added Mark Trumbo, and you've got the quarterback of Machado and, and uh, Jones and Scope and now Weeders, A healthy Weeders they're hoping. And, and J.J. Hardy, they're hoping for a bounce back from him if he's healthy. They're going to score runs. That's not going to be a problem. The defense, it's a plus defense. The bullpen is outstanding. It's all pointing to the starting pitching. That's where it all starts, and I think that's the reason people figure if you have to pick 18, that's going to be the worst. Well, let's look at the Orioles. The rotation was a big disappointment uh, last season, which is why they finished 500. That's the number one reason. And the only thing they've done is, is lose Wei-Yin Chen and advance Worley up to this point of this recording. So, of course, you're going to say, well, they've taken a big step back, and there's a risk where they're counting so heavily on bounce-back seasons from Tillman or from Gonzalez we are counting on Kevin Gosman, their former first-round pick, to make that next big jump and become the ace that they're expecting. Well, those are all big ifs. And so, you know, with that uncertainty comes that failing grade. It's all about the rotation, and that's why even, you know, when you talk about well, what's the one big thing that could be a problem for them, it goes back to the rotation. What if Chris Tillman doesn't have the bounce-back year? Uh, what if Miguel Gonzalez is a big disappointment again? And what if Gosman doesn't take that next step? Abaldo Jimenez is kind of a mixed bag. He had a pretty good first half, but not as good a second half. He's been very uneven for them. Uh, and, we, you know, at this point, you're still wondering well, who's filling the other spot. Shed was kind of their most consistent guy, and you end up losing him. So, you know, that's going to be what we're going to be watching in spring training and all season is how's this rotation going to respond? Because if they don't get bounce-back seasons from these guys, and Goffman doesn't take that next step, even though they've got some decent depth at AAA – it doesn't matter what of the moves they make. They're not going to make the playoffs if this rotation doesn't step up.
1: Let's focus on the, the positive with the offense. You mentioned how good it was. and According to the Baseball Reference Play Index, since 1901, only two players aged 22 or younger have hit at least 286 with 35 homers and 20 stolen bases in a single season, which is what Manny Machado did last year. The other name, do you want to take a guess?
4: I would have no idea, but now I'm very curious. It's a select company here.
1: Alex Rodriguez, with the Seattle Mariners in 1998, hit three ten with 42 homers and 46 steals.
4: Wow, and it's no coincidence. Isn't he a, a mentor for Manny? I mean, that's, that's, I think that's his hero. Exactly.
1: Is there a case to be made with Machado, who also plays gold glove caliber defense at the hot corner, that he's maybe the most underrated superstar in baseball?
4: Yeah, I, I think so, except I, I think more people are taking notice of him this past season. And the fact that he finished so high in the MVP voting, which surprised me a little bit, and I realized, wow, people, obviously more of the writers at least, were taking notice of just how good this kid is. And only 23. I mean, he, he could be scary good. And he's a free agent for 2018, and the Orioles don't normally spend big other than the Chris Davis contract, obviously. So they may want to get him uh, wrapped up in the extension here shortly because uh, his value is going to be through the roof if he stays healthy. And that's the other impressive thing. He's got surgically repaired knees. And we weren't even thinking about that after the season started because he was just playing so well. And, you know, he's, he's not your prototypical leadoff hitter, but that's where he is. And, and he's thrived there. And, and Buck Showalter is not afraid to put him. Are you guys who, in the leadoff spot, that you wouldn't normally think would fit that role like Nick Marcakis? And, man, he really is their best option right now as a leadoff guy, even though you think, well, it makes sense to lower him, more of a run-producing spot. But look at his numbers from the top of the order, and Manny wants the at-bats. And so if you're leading off, you probably have a better chance to get that extra at-bat. So he really is scary good, and you think about him being a platinum glove winner at third base, is not even his natural position, and he really prefer to play short. And one day he may end up over there, but as Buck has said, he's such a difference maker at third base that just doesn't make sense at this point. Plus you have J.J. Hardy, obviously, at short, but it just doesn't make sense to move him off that position when he is such a difference maker at the hot corner. So, yeah, he, as long as he continues to stay healthy, you just see him getting better, and, and this guy doesn't have many flaws in his game at this point.
1: You can't talk about the Orioles' offseason without talking about Chris Davis. Uh, they re-signed him to a seven-year, $161 million contract. How likely is it that this becomes a, a huge albatross on the Baltimore payroll down the down the road? You mentioned the obstacle of re-signing Manny Machado. Does this type of a long-term contract maybe pose a problem for the Orioles down the road here? Or was this a move they had to make if they wanted to stay in contention in the American League East?
4: Uh, Can I answer yes to both of those? (laughs) Yeah, I think they really felt like they had to because you got to pay for power, and and Chris is a special player, and he's a fan favorite, and ownership recognized that. And Angelos, when it's a guy that he really wants to keep, they're going to do that. And he's the primary reason why Chris Davis is still an Oriole. It was, you know, Peter Angelos really kind of took over the negotiations with Scott Boris. And when it looked like everybody else was ready to walk away, when that offer was still on the table, and, you know, seven years, there's $150 million at one point if you factor in deferred money, the present day value. There were plenty of people in the organization that said, look, we offered it. He turned it down. Let's move on and use that, at least some of that money elsewhere. And it was Angelos who kept what. Ne- who kept taking the calls from Scott Boris and was really trying to work things out. So he just felt like they had to go ahead and, and, and secure him and also send a message to fans that we are willing to spend money and we we hear you. Because everywhere I went, everywhere he went, everywhere anyone in the organization went, every day you were asked what's going on with Chris Davis? Are they going to keep him? So there, I think there was some pressure to do that. But I also know there are people, even within the organization, let alone outside of it, who think it could be a problem with the payroll because the Orioles aren't going to spend like the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Red Sox and teams like that, and you're committing that much money to one player, could that be a problem down the road? But let's keep uh, in mind, too, what is it, $42 million deferred? He's going to be getting paid when he's in his 50s. So they really, and it may sound strange for $161 million, but it comes pretty close to being a team-friendly deal when you factor in all that deferred money. And the fact that Scott Borst kept coming back to the Orioles and was willing to do that with the deferred money tells you that, first of all, there could have been a large market for Chris, and he was listening to his client, who obviously wanted to get it done, and Chris, all along, said he wanted to stay. And, you know, Angelos had reached out to him, that meant a lot to him, so I think Scott, even though obviously he's always looking for the best deal, and is, is not in no hurry to sign his superstars, he knew that this deal had to get done, so they had to figure out creative ways to do it, and they did that, so I think both sides win.
1: Yeah, no matter how you slice it, certainly one of the most polarizing Uh, free agent signings in the offseason. One of the more under-the-radar moves uh, that the Orioles made was to swing a trade for Mark Trumbo, who Jerry Depoto has now inherited and subsequently traded twice since 2013. We know Camden Yards is a fantastic home park for right-handed power hitters. How big of an impact can Mark Trumbo have on this lineup for Baltimore in
4: 2016? Uh, I think it was a good deal for them. and I mean, they gave up Steve Clevenger, who a catcher who's out of options and didn't figure to make the club because leaders took the qualifying offer, and Caleb Joseph is in as a backup. So, as much as they like Clevenger, to be able to get Mark Trumbo in exchange, that seems like a pretty good deal for them. And, and it's one year he's getting, I think it's $9.1 million, and then he can go ahead and, and test the market. I think it's a good deal for them. He's probably going to be primarily the designated hitter. He's not real comfortable in the outfield, and the Orioles aren't real comfortable putting him out there. And now, Davis, primarily the first baseman. He's going to have to be the DH, but they were getting a whole lot of production from the DH spot. So to me, this this is an upgrade, and uh, they think in this ballpark that he's going to his power numbers are going to go up. There are a lot of balls that he was hitting right center that'll probably go out at Camden Yards that weren't in other ballparks. And I know he's excited about that, so I think it's a good addition, and a guy that if you have to, you can. Once in a while, put him at first to spell Davis if Davis wants to DH, or if you want to put him in right field. But yeah, this guy could be a 30 home run guy for the DH spot. It's been a while since the Orioles have been able to to do that. I mean, they, they've had you know they they ran a lot of guys through the DH spot. Jimmy Paredes, one of them, Delmon Young at times, and they just weren't getting that kind of production. So to be able to pencil in, they think 30 home runs. I think that's pretty big for them.
1: What are the Orioles expecting internally? over a full season from Jonathan Scope if he can get healthy we know he has tremendous raw power for a second baseman can he put it all together as quickly as this upcoming season
4: that's what they're anticipating in fact they thought it was going to happen for him last season so he injured his knee I think it was in April at Fenway Park when he hit the bag wrong and and Buck was talking about how disappointing it was because he goes you could just see Jonathan was ready to just explode and really have a big season for them and then he has that injury and it set him back and you know, they were keeping their fingers crossed for a while. It looked like it, he might need surgery, and that would end his season. And that wasn't the case. So they think, again, he's in position where he could maybe start kind of challenging Machado as far as, as some of the numbers that he's putting up. He could be that type of player for them. where he could. They think he's going to hit more for average. Uh, if he focuses more putting the ball in place and working with hitting coach Stop Pulba the power's there. He doesn't have to try and hit home runs. They're trying to get him away from that. He's a plus defender. He and Manny – you know, they have of who's got the strongest arm, and you can see it sometimes when Manny's making throws from third and Josh from second. You can see it's almost like a little bit of a competition. So he's a special player, and he's part now of that impressive young core group that they have. But, uh, yeah, you kind of think of the sky's the limit with him as well, if he's able to stay healthy. They're really excited about him.
1: What's the Orioles' plan for Kevin Gossman? I know you said they're trying to transition him to the rotation, but they've said that before they've switched him to the bullpen where do you think he ends up this season and is he the guy who is the real x factor in that rotation you mentioned there's a little bit of uncertainty there but if he takes a step forward this year how big would that be for this team
4: i think it's necessary like it has to happen and and his role finally for the first time is clearly defined he's going to break camp as a starter every five days he gets the ball Uh, he would have to really pitch himself off the team. Like, it would just have to be a disaster for him to the option. Like, he's off that shuttle between Norfolk and Baltimore. And Buck has said that. Buck's expression is the governor's off now. You know, there's no, they're not worried about innings. It's fine for him to be the workhorse for this club. And they really do need him to take that next step. I mean, he's, you know, trying to develop a third pitch. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about that. He's got the, the plus fastball. And uh, the change, but they've had him, you know, did he, did he throw the slider or did he throw the, the curveball? They're trying to decide which. And it looks like he was throwing more of his curveball his final start of the season. we pitched really well against Toronto. So the continued development of that third pitch will be huge for him. But this is the first time where we know exactly what's going on with Kevin Gosman. The only thing we don't know is if he's going to be the number three starters, he's going to be the four starters, he's going to be the fifth but most certainly he's in that rotation. Like I said, it would have to just be you know, where he can't get anybody out for them to send him down.
1: At Baseball Perspectives, we focus a lot on prospects in the minor leagues, and really the, the Dylan Bundy sort of injury saga has grabbed most of the headlines over the past few years with the Orioles. But what do you make of the team's overall struggles in terms of player development? Because the farm systems, it's really just one element of roster construction, but it seems like on the surface this is an organization that struggled – to draft and develop talent in the minor leagues throughout the last couple of years. Uh, have you noticed that? Is there any talk of that locally? And is that a concern for this franchise?
4: Well, Trust me, it's been noticed. In fact, I tweeted uh, recently where Buck Showwater referred to Brian Graham as the best farm director in baseball. And I had all these people tweeting me, but how can that be when the system's ranked 27th or 29th or this and that? And they're not developing players. And I have to point out that it, it's not, you not know, the blame doesn't fall on one person, obviously. And it's a a variety of reasons why they've had some issues. I mean, there's so many injuries that have pounded this team, and we can include Dylan Bundy, we can include Hunter Harvey, and and plenty of others, and it's odd because they're so careful with their pitchers, almost to a fault, they put the innings limits on them, and and yet these guys end up with these injuries, and it's not because they're being abused at the lower levels of the minors or whatever. Uh, But at the same time, whenever you, you look at these failing grades, You've got to factor in, and this is the first thing that Showalter Walter and Duquette will, will remind you of how many players are already at the major league level helping them? They'd be getting better grades for the My League system if Kevin Dawson was still in the minors and if Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope are still there. You can name some of you know, Michael Gibbons came up from Bowie and ended up becoming a very valuable reliever for them, and you could probably pencil him into the bullpen this year, even though know, he's never pitched in AAA. That's the guy they drafted as a shortstop, by the way draft and develop convert him to pitcher and he was one of the better relievers so they kind of look at that as look you know we, we've got guys here helping us at the major league level and that's what you're, this is all about. That's first and foremost the idea is to have these guys that can come up and help the big league club not just win championships in the minors and get good grades but that said there is a need to restock the farm system with young arms because duquette has traded quite a few of them over the last few years in order to stay competitive including josh hater eduardo rodriguez or two pretty good lefties that were sent to the pirates of travis snyder who didn't make it through the season they lost tim barry on a waiver claim by the marlins i mean so they're trying to restock their farm system with arms preferably college arms that are close to major league ready and that's one of the reasons they're so hesitant to part with their their draft picks for guys who um, turn down qualifying offers because they know they have to do that and they need more position prospects they really like trey mancini a first baseman from notre dame that was their minor league player of the year at double a buoy uh you know they've got some other guys but they're still it's still a process but they feel like look we have guys that come up and help us at the major league level so they think that should be taken into account whenever you're grading their system but still you got to keep the young pitchers healthy and they've that's been a challenge for them since i've been on the beat and that's going back to 97, and I can look before that. You draft guys in the first round, O'Hale, Richard Stahl, guys like that, and they break down, and, and you never see them in the majors.
1: Yeah, I wanted to close out with a Baltimore player development success story, but you you kind of already touched on it. Michael Givens, we could probably talk about Zach Britton and, and Darren O'Day for hours, but really, to me, he's the most interesting name in that bullpen. You mentioned the converted uh, shortstop with the sidearm delivery. He was excellent down the stretch for the Orioles, posted a sub-2 ERA in 30 innings. What type of role do they envision for him long-term? Because we know Britain is approaching 30, O'Day's in his mid-30s. Uh, do they view him as a potential future closer for this team, or, or what do they see his future role in the organization being?
4: By the way, I'm glad you mentioned Britain. because that's another guy they drafted and developed. Who's one of the best closers in the game. Granted, a failed starter, as they say, but like, still, he's that a ground ball guy. Rate.
1: That ground ball rate is exactly. insane.
4: <laughs> It really is. And, you know, with Gibbons, I've heard people say that if you get to the point where Britain is too expensive as a closer, because remember, they, they were rated right non-tender Jim Johnson a few years ago because they didn't want to pay him $10 million in arbitration and end up trading him, and he's never been the same since then. If Britain's approaching that, you know, he is a trade candidate, especially if the team's out of contention. And I've heard people say they think Gibbons might be. More likely or more suited to be a replacement than a Darren O'Day, I think that, that Givens has that kind of stuff that he could close at some point. Uh, but at this point now, you look at this season when you do have Britton back and you have O'Day, who they resigned 31 million over four years for a setup man. That's how important he is to them. And you have Brad Brock, who's extremely underrated. Gibbons might end up being more of a you know sixth inning, seventh inning guy who occasionally can fill in in the eighth if, if let's say O'Day's not available. But also, because he has minor league options, the Orioles, they they were hurt by not having enough flexibility, uh, enough optionable players in the bullpen last year. I mean, T.J. McFarlane's pretty much the only one. Givens gives them a little more of that flexibility, Where if you do need to bring up a fresh arm, he may be a guy that's forced to kind of ride that shuttle this year just because they can move him up and down, and they can't do that with anybody else in that pen. So you, you may end up seeing that, but either way, he's going to be a very important part for them because he is... You know, a, a guy who uh, you look at his, you know, strikeout numbers at Bowie. And then when he came up, and just you know, he wasn't overwhelmed at all by the challenge, and he's still adapting to relief and a new arm slot. Remember, they kept lowering the arm slot, so he was learning quite a bit on the fly here, and was still this good. So he'll be a guy that could, I, again, I think, sixth, seventh inning type guy mostly, fill in in the ace sometimes, but also a guy that you may see option a few times through no fault of his own, just because they can option him and they need that flexibility.
1: All right, Rock. Last question for me, and we'll get you out of here. I'm asking this of everyone who comes on. Uh, what is the most compelling player or storyline that you're looking forward to covering with this team in 2016?
4: Wow, well, there are a few candidates. I mean, Bundy, I certainly would point to just because he's out of options. He's still the, the number one prospect in the organization, and this is his time. Like you can't, you can't really hide him. If he's healthy, they're gonna have to end up treating him like a little five guy. Uh, like they've done with uh, you know Jason Garcia last year and other guys in the past McFarland, where you're going to have to be very careful how you use him and that really handcuffs Shoemaker because he doesn't want to work with a short bullpen and he had to do that quite a bit last year with Garcia. And as I you know as Buck has said, the worst case scenario was that Bundy is completely healthy in spring training and he can't get anybody out because then what do you do? So he's going to be a guy you're going to be checking every day: is the arm okay? Is the shoulder okay? Can he get through a season healthy? And can he at least contribute to the point where you're, he's not a liability in the bullpen? So I think this is huge. And also, Hyun Soo Kim, the Korean outfielder that they uh, signed for two years, $7 million, he's penciled into left field, the everyday left fielder, basically. And we know very little about him. We know his numbers in Korea, but how is that going to translate, so to speak, in the majors? Is, it, is, it, is his arm strong enough? Because there have been some questions about that, which is why it's probably projected more for left field. Can he cover enough ground? he would be able to hit. He had a very high on-base percentage in Korea, and that's an area the Orioles are always looking to upgrade. Every winter they say, we better improve our on-base percentage, and it never happens. Well, they're counting on this guy being able to do that, and they think that that's the kind of number that will translate more. That's a skill that will translate more at any level, as opposed to if he was hitting 40 home runs in Korea, and, well, he may not do that in Major League ballparks. They feel like his... Uh, eye for the strike zone, his ability to hit, will will carry over here. And so far, they've been impressed with him in workouts. Brady Anderson worked out with him in California and said, this guy hits line drive after line drive. But he's a compelling story because we know so little about him. And how is he going to adapt to life in the U.S., let alone to facing major league pitching? So I would think Bundy and Kim would be like two of the really big storylines.
1: Very very intriguing, uh, to say the least. Uh, Rock, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Enjoy the warm weather, and hopefully we'll talk to you again a little later on in the uh, uh, team preview series next year.
4: My pleasure. Anytime.
1: All right, so that's going to do it for our conversation with Rock Kubako. You can check out his Orioles coverage all season long at massinsports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at MassinRock. Now let's send it back over to Ben Lindbergh to wrap things up.
2: All right. That's it for today. Thank you to John and Rock for coming on. You can send us emails for tomorrow's listener email show at podcast at baseballprospectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Many of you have left reviews recently, and I thank you for that. Sam and I wrote a book. It's called the only rule is it has to work. It's the story of our summer running the Sonoma Stompers, an independent baseball league team according to sabermetric principles. comes out on May 3rd, but if you pre-order, which we would greatly appreciate, you might luck out and get it a little bit earlier. And if you pre-order through the link to Amazon or Barnes and Noble on the BP homepage. BP will get a tiny percentage of the sale. Please support our sponsor, the Play Index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a 1-year subscription. And one last note, our sister site, daughter site, the site started by effectively wild listeners, banished to the pen, it's banishedtothepen.com is running a written team preview series concurrent with this podcast preview series. So you can head over to Banish to the Pen to see their write-ups of each team, more or less on the same day that we put our podcasts up. We'll be back tomorrow with the email show and on Thursday with the Colorado Rockies.
0: Fly away without you
2: Shadow
0: fall around you and show you the way to go. It's over. It's over.